I don't really care much about what cars look like, but his car was such a piece of junk. Mm. Like it was totally falling apart. The windows were broken. It looked like a homeless person lived there. It was disgusting. And that's where the quote comes. Where <laughs> that a squirrel had made a home for himself in the car. So he was like, well, it might kind of smell like an animal. And Ew. I was like, what? Things you should never say on a first date. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm so excited for today's episode of Interstates and Heartbreak, a podcast all about the shared experience of dating. So today I have Rachel Shear on my podcast. She is the author of the book Dating to Find Your Soulmate coming out February 2nd. And I'm just so excited to dive in. I read the entire book and it will provide you with not only like actionable, specific dating advice, but like I was telling Rachel, it literally left my mouth agape at some points as you kind of read about some of the stories that Rachel has gone through in order to learn these invaluable lessons that she is passing on now. Um, and it was to the point where I kept telling myself that I needed to get up and cook dinner when I started the book and I literally had to just tear myself away. So I'm so excited. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really glad to hear that you couldn't put the book down. That yes. makes me very happy. <laughs> yes. I can't wait for other people to be able to read it and go through this journey with you as well. Yes, I can't wait either. And I am an open book, as people can tell if they read my book. So I am very happy to talk about all of my experiences because they're real. They really happened to me. And I want to help everyone else find love faster and not make all the mistakes that I made. I love how vulnerable you are. And it reminds me of with Sex and the City, which very relevant, this is coming back. But I've always heard that in the writer's room, they wouldn't write in any storylines that hadn't either happened to the writers or friends of the writers. So it's just so nice and refreshing when you have like these stories where you're like, no, you really can't make this up. Like this is based on a true story. I know what I'm talking about. And it just gives it that added element of relatability. Yeah, I heard that too. And I've watched the whole series, Sex and the City, multiple times. And I have had all the same experiences that they go through. So I understand that it's relatable because it's happened to me and I'm sure it's happened to hundreds of other women. Yes, yes. It's so sad that we have to go through this, but also nice to hear that we're not alone in going through some of these experiences. Yes, that's exactly why I wrote this book because I have had so many crazy experiences, but I know that everyone can relate. Some men have read the book and they said they shared a lot of the same experiences that I did also. So Interesting. it's applicable to both men and women. Yeah, no one is safe out there. <laughs> There's some crazy people. Yeah. <laughs> so before diving into the book, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your professional background and how did that factor into your current career and your investment in the field of dating and relationships and counseling? Well, I went to a seminar many years ago that this woman 
led and she had just written a book about sex coaching Mm -hmm. so i went up to her after and we talked and she ended up becoming my mentor Mm -hmm. because she was starting a school sex coach university and she needed help with the material and the whole outline of the school so i helped her but i was still a student so i was learning a lot from her Mm -hmm. and that's how i got my whole interest in coaching in general. And so I started out doing sex coaching and Mm -hmm. then I realized that sex is one small part of a relationship, but there's so many other aspects to a relationship Mm -hmm. that I was interested in. So then I got other certifications in love coaching, singles, couples, life coaching, and that landed me here where I am today because I have so many of my own experiences and knowledge Mm -hmm. about dating, then I figured working with singles would be the best fit for me. Yeah, I love that. So kind of going into how people react, because I feel like people must have a lot of thoughts about you being in this field. And I think anytime you work in a field that's associated with dating and relationships in general, people have some preconceived notion, whatever that is, it'll vary from person to person. But like, for example, I feel like if people were to hear like, oh, I have a dating podcast, they probably are like, oh, she's like a mess. But then you, you have all these accreditations and you actually know what you're talking about. It's indisputable. And so I wonder, is that something that you found to be intimidating to men as you tell them about your career? Yes. Men often ask, are you going to analyze me and coach me and and do all your tricks on me. (laughs) I always tell them no, Mm -hmm. because maybe I'm really good at coaching other people, but I try not to analyze men when I go on dates because I'm not supposed to be their therapist. I just want to their date and get to know them on a personal level. Mm -hmm. So they might be intimidated, but if they are, then they're not the men for me. Yeah, definitely. And also, I'm sure, you know, you're like, I'm off the clock, so you don't have to worry about it. Like, I'm not trying to do work 24-7. I'm just trying to enjoy the state right now. Yeah, like, even though I coach other people in love and life, that doesn't mean that I have to apply all of those rules and coaching practices when I'm on a date. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I guess diving into the book now, I would love to hear about a brief summary of kind of your dating history and how that led you to say, I want to compile all of these into the lessons that are now in the book today. Well, once I started coaching other people and I started to date and gain a lot of new experiences, people constantly told me I should write a book about everything, Mm -hmm. but I never did. I just pushed that aside and stored all the stories into my head, but I didn't Mm -hmm. do anything about it until the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. when... I got laid off from my job and I found myself with a lot of extra time on my hands. Mm -hmm. I figured, you know what? Now is the perfect time to write a book. And actually, I was able to write it so quickly because Mm -hmm. I had so much knowledge and so many stories that were just ready to come out on the pages. So it just took me a month to write this book. Wow. And hopefully lots of people will read it and gain insight and learn from my mistakes. One month is so impressive. I feel like you always hear the tropes about authors who are like, I need to push back my deadline. I need more time. And you're just like, nope, I'm powering through. I'm pushing it all out. 
Yeah, I'm very motivated. Once I set a deadline for myself, I complete mm-hmm. it. So yes. I just... <laughs> My gosh. So as we kind of go into it, I'd love to give listeners a sense of like what your dating experience is, because clearly, like you said, you've gone on a wide range of dates, you've had a lot of bad dates, and you kind of allude to like how many years you spent dating and some of the cities that you lived in in your dating years. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, the majority of my adult life, I lived in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge city, so spread out. So a lot of the people there are not ready for a (laughs) lifelong commitment. Yes. I find that the bigger the city, the less eager people are to settle down. Mm -hmm. Especially in Los Angeles, people are really career focused and they want to become a famous producer, director. Mm -hmm. I actually moved there to pursue acting because I wanted to be a famous movie star. But I got a real job and it didn't happen for me yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, you never know. The book could translate into a movie deal. (laughs) Yes, I would love that. Yes. If any producers are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Hit her up. Contact information at the end of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So living in Los Angeles, I had tons of first dates and people were not serious. So I did have a few longer term relationships, one that was like over two years, but mainly I just had a lot of first dates because people just don't want to settle down yet. I know it's the same in other big cities like New York, San Francisco, Mm -hmm. Boston. I lived in Chicago too. Mm. And I think the Chicago vibe is slightly different. I only lived there for a few years, but because it's the Midwest, I think people want to settle down faster. Okay. So I didn't settle down when I lived there, (laughs) but I was still really young. I think most of the people in Chicago are married or they find someone by the time they're 30. But It depends. Every city is different. And like I said, the bigger the city, the harder it is to find someone. Yeah. Paradox of choice. I feel like everyone's just like, oh, there's a litany of options around. And also in LA, especially, there's so many beautiful people. So it's hard not to think that maybe, oh, there's someone better out there if you find even the slightest flaw in the person who you're currently dating. Yes. And with the swiping mentality, people Mm -hmm. just swipe, swipe, swipe all day. And even Mm -hmm. if they find the perfect person, they think to themselves, maybe there's someone better. I'll just keep swiping. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. People just seem very disposable. Yes. So it's so interesting that you were in the entertainment field, like very directly. I would love to hear how was it to date when you were trying to become an actress? Like, were you dating other actors? Were you dating people who were maybe like producers, directors? Because I feel like that's the Hollywood stereotype of like, I don't know what it's like to date and all of the struggles that come along with dating in this city. Yes, I did go on some dates with other actors. Usually they were into like the drug scene and that was not me at all. So... Mm -hmm. I know some actors told me that the diet for actors is coffee and cigarettes, which does appeal to me. I like real food. I feel like I would be so self-conscious on a date. I couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So the actors I usually did not mesh with, but 
I did date some directors, producers. I went to a few movie screenings, which was exciting. I started out there as a background actor. So I was in a lot of movies that came out and I met a ton of celebrities. Oh my gosh. But one thing that I found to be true is that if you don't have an in, if you don't know the right people, you're never going to (laughs) succeed. And I dated some guys who just kept waiting and waiting for their big break, but it never came. And it Mm -hmm. definitely affected our relationship because they were stressed out. They were barely making any money and it just weighed down our relationship dynamics. So it wasn't good for either of us. Yeah, that's incredibly stressful. And I imagine there's probably an element of competitiveness if you're working in the same field and it's a field that is so cutthroat. So was that ever something where you experienced maybe some success in one realm and they weren't as supportive as you would have hoped because maybe they were jealous? Well, living in Los Angeles, I was never really (laughs) successful. (laughs) And since they were men, it's not like we were fighting over the same roles. So that was not really a concern. Of course, I was jealous of friends, like female friends Mm -hmm. who got parts that I thought that I deserved. Mm -hmm. Like I had a roommate when I first moved there who was a female also pursuing acting And she was slightly more successful than I was. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of jealous of her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough. It's so tough. Yeah. The entertainment industry is very cutthroat. And I don't know how much it's changed in the past year, probably a lot. But I'm glad I'm not there anymore. Of course, (laughs) I I would still love to do acting, but I've gone to do theater instead. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. So I have one more question about acting. I just have to ask, even though I know I might not get the answer I'm hoping, do you have any army hammer level like bombshells that you can drop about actors that you met while you were also in the field? Jeez, I wish I had <laughs> great to say. I Actually, it's not really bombshells about other people, but mm. there were three different sets that I can think of where I ruined the shot. Like, <laughs> because of me, they had to like, redo the whole scene. <laughs> Once there was a movie with Tom Cruise, actually, and mm-hmm. I thought that he was injured. So I like, I walked right up to him and then I heard someone yell, cut. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Ruined the scene. And then twice on two different TV shows, I played a waitress because I had the right body type for their costumes. Mm -hmm. So I was in a waitress outfit carrying a tray with wine and I tripped. Oh, no. I spilled wine all over the main actor's shirt. (laughs) I did that twice. Oh my gosh, that is definitely something I would do. I feel like it's, I mean, of course, it's your career. You have to be professional about it and I'm sure you get your cool. But for now, just the thought of like me with no experience, like being placed in that situation, of course I would trip and like do something embarrassing. And oh, wow, that's so funny. Yes, luckily the actors all had a lighthearted attitude about it. They just laughed it up. And when we redid the scene, they said, you're not going to ruin the scene again, are you? And I said, no. (laughs) I'm glad everyone could laugh about it. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. So I really want to dive into the book. And so 
Like I mentioned, it really hooked me. And that was even from the beginning, because in the intro, I remember you said that you went on hundreds of first dates. And I was like, wow, that in itself is a testament to your experience. And I feel like it's so relatable. It's like, especially when you're on the apps, it can feel like, oh, I have this endless supply of first dates. The question is just how many of them are going to translate into being worthy of a second date. And so... I would say your book, it really goes through like all of the stages of dating to find your soulmate. So you kind of start with how to get over a breakup, how to put yourself back out there and all the things that you encounter as you're doing that through online dating, early dates, including some of the bad ones, and then dating to determine compatibility and longevity. So I thought it would be really helpful to kind of go through some of the findings in the book in the capacity of those four stages and just kind of go chronologically and, you know, have some of the insights for how people can work their way through this process. Yeah, that sounds perfect. I love it. Awesome. So yeah, starting with getting over a breakup, I love that you started out with being very positive about it and looking at the positives, like having a new bed to yourself. That also really spoke to me because actually after a recent breakup, I just bought myself a new bed. So I was like, yeah, now I do get to enjoy the salt to myself. But I think, you know, it's also interesting to hear about the timeline for getting over a breakup. And I know this varies so much for every person, but in your coaching, is there any timeline that kind of you prescribe as healthy or a period beyond which you would really encourage your clients to fully move on if they haven't already? Again, like you said, it completely varies. For me, it usually takes a few months to get over a breakup, but it depends on the length. If I went out with someone for a month, then it's not going to take me six months to get over Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. It will just take maybe a few days, but it really depends. I know they used to say, take the length of your relationship and break it in half. And Mm -hmm. that's how long it will take you to get over it. That could be the case sometimes. Other people, it might take twice as long. If you went out for a year, it might take you two years to get over it. It really depends. I had one relationship that was over two years long and it took me no time at all to get over it (laughs) Um, because I had already known in my heart that it was over. So I had already accepted the breakup and Mm -hmm. mourned while we were together. So Mm -hmm. by the time we broke up, I was totally fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting because I heard that rule, of course, as well, about half the time of your relationship. But it's such an interesting approach to try and just apply a blanket rule to everybody. And to your point, I think there are some relationships where you can get over it very easily if you do know deep in your heart they're not the right person. And then alternatively, there are some relationships that are so short, but it's like maybe it was a whirlwind and you really felt like you got to know this person on a deeper level than even some of your past relationships that had lasted a longer time. Yeah. And then, like I said, you could be with someone even just for a week and it Mm -hmm. might take you months to get over it because you really thought that this was the one, this was the person for you. Yeah. I read somewhere, there's something really interesting about how people should be okay with mourning the possibility of a relationship as well as a real relationship itself. Just because I think sometimes going on all these dates, it can be very discouraging to go on bad dates and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to meet the person who is a good match. And then when you do meet someone who has that potential, it can be hard to come to terms with the fact that like, it's not going to work out and you're not going to see where things go with that person for whatever reason. Yes, I've definitely heard that too. And I agree with that 100%. I've done that too. 
even if there's a guy that I know is not right for me, I might just put all my energy and effort into making it work because mm-hmm. I just want that great love so badly. But then if it doesn't work out or when it doesn't work out, then I'm mourning the possibility of what could have been what I wish mm-hmm. would happen. Yeah. So yeah, it could take also months to heal. And at that point, if it's so early on, I feel like usually you haven't had the opportunity to see the negatives about them that you can then latch on to typically after a breakup where you're like, well, I actually didn't really like that he did X, Y, and Z. So it's okay that we're not together anymore. All you have are the honeymoon stages to remember and reflect on. And then whatever narrative you've built up in your head, which is likely a very positive, rosy narrative. So it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually a reason that a lot of couples that break up get back together maybe months or years later because they forget about all the negatives mm-hmm. they suddenly remember oh my god i loved him so much everything was so great but they completely put out of their mind all the things they hated <laughs> yeah yeah it's really unfortunate that our memories trick us in that way <laughs> yes i don't have any kids but i know mm-hmm. they say that when a woman is going through labor <laughs> brain forgets how painful it was. So then she's able to have more kids. (laughs) I have heard that as well. I'm like, gosh, I also don't have kids. And I'm like, how traumatic must it be that your brain is like, we're just going to block that out just because otherwise there's no way she'll willingly go through this again. Yeah. (laughs) So crazy. So you also talk about comparing the recovery from a breakup to stages of grief, which I love. And I've definitely heard that comparison. I think it's so appropriate. And so for bargaining, I really wanted to talk about that because I know that a lot of times in the bargaining phases of a breakup, it's when you're like, okay, I really want to get back together with this person. And you might even go to them and say, how can we work through this? And I wanted to get your perspective. Do you think it's ever worthwhile to actively convince somebody to take you back if you've broken up? Usually not. If your core values have not changed and you have Mm -hmm. the same relationship requirements, like let's say you really want kids and your ex doesn't, if you beg for them to take you back, nothing's going to change there. They still want kids and you still do want kids. So it's going to not work out for you. You're going to clash in the long run. But if it's something different, like maybe you've asked your partner or your ex partner to Mm therapy because he had some issues from his past to work through and he kept saying no 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 I'm not going to therapy but then he finally does then it would be okay to get back together as long as he's worked through whatever was going on for him Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, it's just something that I've reflected on a lot because I have had two longer term exes who we broke up at one point and then we got back together again. And in both cases, like in the months immediately following, yeah, it was it was good. And it was nice to get back together with them. But I kind of look back and it's like, the first time I was already kind of over the breakup, to be honest. And so when we got back together, it was nice. But I'm like, okay, if you had already moved on, like, was there really a need to kind of revisit that? And in the second case, it was a very short break. So I definitely wasn't over it. But in that relationship in particular, I'm like, you really should have just cut your losses and moved on and not wasted your time. It's so interesting to think about. Yeah, it can apply to both like having a boyfriend or even having a husband that Mm -hmm. if you break up, if you do choose to get back together, 
you're starting a brand new relationship. Even though you were together for however long before, you're getting back together now and you both have grown and changed. So it's a new relationship that's forming all over again. So you could start from scratch and have another honeymoon period yeah. and it, it might end up being much stronger than your relationship was before. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I think it's so nice to then say, we're not just going to fall into old habits. We're going to kind of go through the courtship and take the time to rebuild that foundation that was kind of broken in the first place. Yeah. A lot of people put so much emphasis on their careers, but the relationship you have with your partner should be the most important thing in the world mm-hmm. because you're going to be spending every night together if you work during the day and mm-hmm. Especially during the pandemic, people are spending twenty four seven together, mm-hmm. and they're either realizing how much they hate each other or how much they really care about each other. Yes. Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine feeling trapped because you're realizing, like, oh, I liked this person when I saw them like three nights a week, but like now that we're together all the time, it's it's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah, I've heard a few stories about couples who had just gone on a few dates and then one of them came down with COVID. So they ended up living together after just three dates. Oh my God. So they could take care of each other because they both Mm -hmm. ended up getting COVID. And I don't know if those couples lasted, but a lot of people did that. (laughs) If you can make it through that, I'm like, you can probably make it through anything because that's so wild. You're literally seeing each other at your worst and you barely know each other at that point. Yeah. It's a great way to get to know each other. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It really is. Oh my gosh. So another one of the stages of grief I wanted to talk about was acceptance. And I wanted to hear from your experience. Do you feel like people in general tend to have like a gradual acceptance of the breakup? Or do you think that sometimes it can just happen out of the blue? What are your thoughts there? It really could go either way. Mm -hmm. I've had both myself. Like there have been some people that I was depressed for months, mourning the loss of what I thought was a great love. And then one day I just wake up and I'm, I'm over it. I don't know what triggers that, but sometimes it just happens suddenly. But then there have been other people where the memory of him lingered for months or even years. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that even when I think about them now, it makes me sad even though we haven't spoken in many years, it's still a sadness that washes over me whenever I hear that person's name or think about them. Yeah, wow. Kind of similar to the timeline for the breakup, it's probably just largely dependent on what your relationship was like, especially in the days leading to its end. Yeah, yeah, it completely varies. Yeah, that makes sense. So talking about making the most of your time being single. So of course, now we're in a pandemic, so it's a little bit different. But I think normally, like I'm thinking back to one breakup I had where my coping mechanism was just to throw myself into every social activity possible, say yes to everything, A, to distract myself, but also just to say, like, now I can prioritize my friendships. Maybe I'll meet new people while I'm doing all these things. How do you feel people should balance their time between like being alone and really cultivating that time with themselves and doing those social things or taking the time to actively date? Like, how do you find a good balance between those? Well, it's also dependent on your personality and what type of person you are. If some people are just 
very motivated to find love and they think, okay, I'm over with this person, on to the next. And they just put all their effort into finding someone, whereas other people might take a slower approach and they want to just be introspective and work on themselves and start a new hobby or activity. And that could work for them too. It is important to really just enjoy your own company because Mm -hmm. that's who you're going to spend your whole life with. (laughs) So you have to enjoy yourself, be confident and happy in your own skin. So if you don't feel that way, then you should not start dating. That makes sense. That makes sense. So moving on to stage two. So kind of once you've decided, all right, I've taken the time for myself. I've mourned the loss of this relationship. I'm ready to get back out there. I loved this kind of transition of the book because as you were talking about the online dating profiles that you encountered, I was just like, oh my God, this is such an accurate reflection of all the weird and like just irrational things people put out there. And the two that I laughed out loud at were like the holding a baby when you're saying like, did you steal it? Because it's like, yeah, who, like there's no context here. Like whose baby is this? Like, is this supposed to lead me to infer that you're going to be a good dad? I don't really know. And then you also had the call out about the creepy profiles. Like, wait, why is there blood on your clothes? And so I was like, I need some backstory behind this call out and some of the creepy profiles that you encountered while you were online dating. Well, there was one profile that his main picture was him with bloody clothes. And he was standing next to this dead animal. And it looked like a dog. And <gasps> no. And- He looked so proud that he had just killed this dog. And it was disgusting and traumatizing. So I I wasn't going to go out with him, but I sent him a message (laughs) asking, like, what is this? And and he said, it's a deer. I just went hunting. (laughs) And so he thought I was an idiot for not realizing it was a deer. But... I thought he was an idiot for making it look like a dog. (laughs) Yeah. Like you have to be able to read the room. Like no one else has that context. Yeah. (sighs) There was no, yeah, there was no way for me to know what animal it was. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you did the digging. You're like, do I need to call animal services on this person? (laughs) Like what's happening here? Yes. Oh my God. And I've seen a lot of other really strange, creepy pictures that, I don't even, I don't even want to engage with them at all. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so what are some of the craziest ones that you can remember? Well, a lot of people will post like naked pictures. That's their thing. And some people will even post pictures of them having sex. What? I guess they're trying to attract a certain type of person. Yeah. And then a lot of people post pictures that are from many years ago. Like pictures from 20 years ago. So then when we meet in person, (laughs) it does not seem like it's them at all. I don't understand (laughs) the rationale of that at all. Because if your goal is really to get dates, the jig is up literally on date one. So like, are you really just like, oh, I'll just get a first date and then maybe win them over with my personality and they won't care that I lied to them? Yeah, there was one guy that he had a lot of good pictures of himself, but then in one, it showed his wedding ring. So <laughs> no. 
So I like I read back to make sure that he was single and he left that part blank. So I sent him a message back saying like, are you married? And he said, oh, I just got divorced, but like that picture was taken a few months ago. And I mean, it's just idiotic. Like, yes. Why doesn't he get a new picture that does not show that he's married? Yeah, like it doesn't take that much effort to just swap out the one photo so that you don't have a glaring red flag in the pictures that people are swiping through. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen all sorts of crazy pictures and I'm definitely not going to meet them. (laughs) No. Because you don't have any idea of what's normal. So from your experience, like when I've used the apps, I've used Tinder, Bumble, and Hinge the most. I feel like I see the craziest profiles on Tinder where I'm just like, why would you, why would you upload this? Like, why, what are you hoping to get out of this? Is there a platform where you feel like you see the most crazies or like weird profiles or are they kind of spread out? They are spread out, but I agree with you. Tinder probably has the most weird pictures, probably because people are just there for sex. Not everyone, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them. So they just are going to be their true selves, however wacky or strange they are. They just want you to know, like, this is who I am. I want to stand out. And if you like it, then maybe you'll have sex with me. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. And I feel like there's a lot of people who are so open about like whatever their kinks are on the platform too, which not here to shame. Honestly, if that is really what you're looking for, better to get it out before the person matches with you rather on like the third date or whatever. But yeah, I guess maybe they're just kind of like, I'm going to put it all out there and see who is still interested. Yeah. Yeah, I guess at least they're being honest about who they are. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And then of course, you had to call out the fact that some guys are just so overly sexual, unsurprisingly, when I first joined the apps, I joined Tinder because it was like low barrier to entry. And the first time I joined, it it was for a short period of time. And I actually met someone who I dated exclusively off of that. So I was like, it's not that bad. It just gets a bad rap. But when I signed up the second time, it was a lot of like, yeah, do you want to come over and like jacuzzi or like watch Netflix, whatever. So would you also say that Tinder for you has probably been the one where you get the most overtly sexual messages early on? You know what? No, I would say they all have that. Mm. <laughs> it's not just Tinder. It's also on Bumble. OkCupid okay, has that a lot. Match. Mm-hmm. They all have overtly sexual people. <laughs> you can't get away from it. <sighs> oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many dick pics I've gotten. A guy will just say hi, and then I say hi back, and then he sends a picture of his dick. <laughs> I don't even know how many times. Probably at least 50. 50? Yeah. No. More dicks than I care to. (laughs) Okay. That is horrible. And I feel like platforms really need to just stop with a picture messaging because I feel like I use Hinge more and you can't send photos through Hinge. And so I feel like that's probably just shielded me from all of those dick pics, thankfully. Yes. But I mean, as soon as you give each other your phone numbers, then they're free to send whatever they want. That is true. I think at least when you get to the phone number stage, you've kind of vetted them a little bit. So you're like, okay, do I get a vibe that this person is just waiting to send me a dick pic? Or are they at least going to act like a gentleman? Yeah, I always have my guard up, even if the guy seems very nice and polite. And then I give him my number. It happens like 50% of the time. All of a sudden, I'll just get a dick pic. Oh my God, that's so terrible. You're like opening each text like super cautiously. Like, what is it going to (sighs) be? Yeah. 
I was talking to a guy maybe a year ago and he started saying some sort of sexual stuff. And so I like, I knew it was coming and I was right. (laughs) (laughs) You've like learned the tells you're like, all right. And two messages. (laughs) Yep. And with him and with other people too, they, it's not just a dick pic. They'll send me a video of them masturbating. So I've gotten that plenty of times and I don't need to see a pornographic video of a guy that I don't even like. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It's like, I haven't met you. So this isn't doing it for me. Like that's not going to turn me on. Yeah. I don't know if they think it will turn me on or if they don't care and they just, it turns them on to send it possibly. Yeah. Actually, I think that's probably more it. I'm sure that the guys who are doing that aren't like, well, what's going to please her? They're just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And who cares? Yeah. (laughs) My gosh. So diving into the early dating stage. So, you know, once you've kind of sorted through all the creeps and all the dick pics and you finally find someone to match with, I think you had some really great tangible advice for first date prep. And it's just really important to kind of remember all of these things that can kind of ground yourself one thing I wanted to call out was researching people beforehand. And I'm going to make an admission that is probably going to make me sound very naive. I've literally never done that beforehand. And my thought process was always, okay, well, I really want to get to know this person organically and avoid any preconceived notions and kind of act the way that I would if I maybe met them in person. But I did recently listen to another podcast that had presented this not really as a way to like learn about the person and their background, but just to confirm that they're not weird. And you also bring up the importance of researching a person. And now I think I'm converted. So next online date I go on, I'm definitely going to do my research beforehand. Yeah, it's hard to do research with online dating because sometimes all you have is a first name and a picture. Mm -hmm. And some people, they know how to do the research to look up everything about the person based Mm -hmm. on that. So if you can, then great. I do have friends who just from that, like from a name, age, and picture, they've like searched for hours on Facebook until they find him. Oh my God. And then they've like done all the back end stalking that they can to find out everything before our first date. Oh my gosh. I love that. I definitely have those friends too, where I'm like, you could definitely work for the FBI. So if I ever need some Intel, I know who to go to. Yes. Some people even recommend doing a background check. Wow. Of course, I wouldn't say after a first date, but if you do find out the person's last name and maybe you're going away for the weekend or something, you might Mm -hmm. want to do a background check just to make sure that they're not crazy. Yeah. So how much does a background check cost? There's some basic ones that you could probably do for free. Oh. And then maybe like $50. You can get an account if you go on lots of dates. (laughs) Uh, that's true. Yeah, because I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's so many background checks. It could really add up, but it would definitely be like almost guaranteed security. Yeah. I mean, although not necessarily because some people might be crazy, but they just don't have a record. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing is guaranteed, but I guess you can minimize the chances. <laughs> yeah. And people do crazy things when they're in love. So you just have to be really careful with who you choose to spend your time with because there are a lot of crazies out there. There really are. There really are. 
So going back to the steps to, you know, make your first date a success. So would love to hear from your perspective, what are some of the things that you do before a first date that you recommend to your clients that they do before a first date just to get in the right mindset? I would say make sure you're positive and excited. And if you have a lot of stuff going on in your life and you're stressed out, don't plan it for a night when you were like really busy at work all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a big meeting on Wednesday. Don't go out Wednesday night then. Mm-hmm. Wait three days until you're a little more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. That's really key. And when we were still back in the office, I think that was so hard because a lot of the times you're scheduling these dates for weeknights and then like one or the other person has to say like, can we actually push back? Like something came up and it can be really stressful. So I think definitely setting yourself up for success in a way where you're like coming into it calm, you're not running late, you're not rushing, that really just shifts the whole mood of the date. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very punctual. And so I'm always on time for my dates. Mm -hmm. But I find that a lot of the men I've gone out with are not on time. Mm -hmm. So I just have to like let that go and be relaxed and realize that not everyone is as timely as I am. That's true. And it's kind of like, at least you're in the position of like power in a sense where you arrive first, you get to get situated in your surroundings, like maybe start talking to some people around so that you just seem very like sociable and fun when your date shows up, ideally. Yes, exactly. Unfortunately, I've gone on some online dates where I show up and the guy never shows up. So maybe he took a look at me and didn't like what he saw. Oh my gosh. No, that is just wild that people do that and have such blatant disrespect for people's time. I know. I don't understand it. So what I have learned is I'm not going to schedule a date online that's really far away from where I live Mm -hmm. because you guys not going to show up, then I just wasted an hour driving for nothing. Totally. So I usually try to find a place that's in between us or a little closer to me. Yeah. And I know you had the story about the person who lived really far away and then was like, oh, could you pick me up? Yeah. I had to drive over three hours to meet this guy and we had a great first date, but then his car wasn't working. So he asked me to drive to him. And then he canceled when I was almost there, which was so frustrating. And then I never heard from him. I would be so livid. It's like pre pandemic, I spend enough time in my car as it is like, I don't need to waste time like going on the state that you're then just going to cancel. I lived in Los Angeles too. So in addition (laughs) to the distance, there was all the LA traffic. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario. Yes, it was terrible. Oh my gosh. So you mentioned something about the statistics behind a first impression. And I love anything statistical or any research around dating and would love to hear a little bit more about like, how is this calculated and a little bit more about just how you would describe that? Yeah. Okay. So when you meet someone, your first impression is 55% based on what the person looks like and body Mm -hmm. language. 38% on their style of speaking and 7% on what they say. So it doesn't really matter what the person says. (laughs) All about what they look like and body language. There have been a lot of different studies over the years and I'm sure the statistics are like slightly skewed depending on who does the research, but I've heard this from multiple sources that it's pretty accurate that 
only about 7% of people pay attention to what is said. Wow. What comes out of your mouth doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is how you look, your body language, and your style of speaking, which is very important. Because if, if you talk really monotone and or sound angry or depressed, people are going to be turned off immediately. Mm -hmm. But if you are upbeat and happy and have a lot of energy to your voice, then that will boost people's interest in you. Yeah, that is very intimidating to think about all the times when maybe I've had a bad hair day and then people are just like, all right, writing her off. <laughs> I actually did a, a research study in college about what body parts people find attractive. And the two top for both men and women were eyes and smile. Oh. So luckily, it's not something that you have to work on. That's so interesting because you would think that like maybe some actual body parts rather than facial features would rise to the top. But yeah, well, I also think it speaks to the way that you kind of connect with people and the way that eye contact plays into attraction and flirtation. Oh, yes. Eye contact can be so sexy. Yeah. And it's so sad because I feel like now, you know, maybe you'll be able to smile at a stranger before, but we're all in masks now. And so that really takes away a crucial way to flirt with people who you might just pass and find attractive. It's so much harder to convey that interest. I know. I, I totally relate to that. And sometimes when I'm walking, wearing a mask, I won't even make eye contact with people because there's no point. Seriously, I miss being able to talk to strangers, honestly. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, one day, one day. So I loved also how you talked about ending a first date. And the reason why is because I feel like a lot of times when you're dating, there can be a trap that you fall into where you evaluate your success based on how many second dates you get asked on, regardless of whether or not you even wanted that second date. And so I love that you mentioned that it's important for you to reflect on how you felt about him, aside from how he felt about you and whether he wants to see you again. So I think that's really interesting. And I also was hoping to dive into your thoughts about contacting a guy after the first date, because I know you have very strong feelings about how you should proceed if you are a woman who's dating men. Yes, I hate that I have these beliefs, but I do from years of mistakes on my part. So after a first date, if it's a man and a woman, the man has to be the one to ask the woman out for a second date. Even if the woman first initiated contact, even if the guy is really shy, it doesn't matter. If he has the interest, he will ask you out again. I've made the mistake of asking out so many men and asking them out for second dates and third dates. And sometimes we do go out, but it just ruins the relationship dynamics. And then he grows lazy and doesn't think he needs to put any effort in. So then I end up doing all the asking, all the initiating, I make all the plans and it just, it just doesn't work out for the relationship. Mm -hmm. And then we end up breaking up because he doesn't have any interest. He doesn't feel like he had to do anything to get me. He already got me and I did all the work. That's so interesting. And especially because you mentioned that in the past, you have asked out men multiple times. So it is really interesting. And I'd love to hear 
when you say that it changes the relationship dynamic, like in addition to them kind of getting lazier, what other differences have you noticed after you've asked guys out? Well, I actually, there's one exception. So everyone has either masculine or feminine energy, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what your gender is. So I happen to have feminine energy. So the men that I date, I want them to have masculine energy. And I have attracted some men with feminine energy, which is great for a friendship, but not so great for dating. Because then I have to take on the masculine role and then do all the pursuing and asking. And it's not how I want to be. So if there is a woman that leads with masculine energy and she finds a guy with feminine, it could work if she asks him out, but then she just has to be comfortable in that masculine role, which is Mm -hmm. fine. It does happen in some relationships. But for me, I personally want a guy that's going to pursue me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the key. It's kind of like whatever you are comfortable with is fine. It's just a matter of saying like, oh, if I want to ask a guy out and that's my MO, then I'm going to do it, then that's great. And you should pursue that and find the guy who's open to that. But then conversely, if you don't want that and you do want a guy who's going to take the lead, I think that's okay too. It's just a matter of determining what you want in a partner. Yeah. Yeah, it could work. But in most cases, I find it doesn't. So at what stage do you feel like women should feel comfortable initiating plans? Like when do you feel like it's been established that this guy is pursuing you, they're interested, and it won't be something that they read into if you suggest a date? Let's say you want to make plans with him to meet your friends one weekend, but he's still dating other women. He might be really put off by you suggesting that you meet on a Saturday night because he was planning on meeting another woman that night. So you have to make sure that you're on the same page. And if you're exclusive or not, let's say maybe you decided, okay, like even if we're dating other people, Tuesday night, we're always going to get together. So mm-hmm. then it might be okay that you suggest a special date for a Tuesday night and say, hey, I want to go to this movie or this restaurant. Let's go there next Tuesday. But you just have to make sure that you're in agreement about what level of intimacy you're in, Mm -hmm. in the relationship. Yeah. So I think that brings up another great question of like, when you're dating other people, and you're still in that non-exclusive area, how do you define the relationship without scaring somebody off? Because I think it is really this thing where a lot of times, women who are dating guys might find themselves waiting around for the guy to be ready to define the relationship. But that can be incredibly frustrating. So what's your advice for navigating that? I've had all sorts of different experiences with that. There's some guys I dated where we were together for months and we never talked about if we were exclusive. So in their minds, they just assumed that I was the girlfriend, but I didn't hear those words come out of his mouth. So I never Mm -hmm. made assumptions. So then I had to finally ask and bring it up. And then there've been other guys where I really want to be in an exclusive relationship, but I can tell that the guy is not ready. So if I did bring it up, it would probably push him away. So if I, if that's what I wanted and I could tell that he didn't want it, then I would eventually have to leave the relationship. Mm -hmm. You can usually tell if you can't tell and you're unsure, then it's probably because you're not on the same page. 
Yeah, I don't know exactly the quote, but the gist of this quote is if you're confused about a guy that you're dating, then he doesn't like you as much as you like him or something like that. Yes, I've heard a similar quote. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah. (laughs) If a guy likes you, you will know. If you don't know, then he doesn't like you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the fact that you had those relationships where the guy assumed that you were boyfriend, girlfriend, it's interesting because I feel like as adults, like people have differing views on whether or not you need to have that conversation. It's not like when you're in high school or even college and there's like a very defined, like defining the relationship moment. Do you think that's necessary for someone to like look you in the eye and say like, will you be my girlfriend? Or are there times when you think it can just kind of flow more naturally? I like it. I like to have total honesty and open communication. So I've never had it happen to me, but I would prefer if a guy will look me in the eye and say, will you be my girlfriend? It's Mm -hmm. never happened though, because I feel like guys are just clueless and they just make assumptions without talking to me about it. Yes. Yeah. I think that's true too. And in my last relationship, I actually really liked the way that it happened where it wasn't like this formalized sit down thing, but we were out and we had run into a few of his friends and he introduced me. And then as we were leaving, he's like, so should I like introduce you as my girlfriend? It was actually really cute, but I think it is so awkward most of the time because a lot of times people are either afraid to bring it up, they're making assumptions like you mentioned, and then people are just confused and it leads to problems down the line. Yeah. Yeah, you can never make assumptions because you don't know what the person's thinking or feeling. And mm-hmm. that's why you just need to talk about it. I think the men should be the ones to initiate it. Just like the man should ask you out, the man should initiate a conversation about it. Like, I don't want to be that person who is viewed as being like, so what are we? But yeah, I think sometimes it is tough because like you mentioned, I think a lot of guys will push it off. And so there are times where you're like, all right, I need to just kind of bring this up and see, do I have to walk away like you mentioned? Or is this something that we're actually going to pursue seriously? But it sucks to be in that position. It really sucks. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. So what are your thoughts about as a female, if you are dating someone who you like, but you're not exclusive yet, do you recommend that people continue to date so that they're not putting all their eggs in one basket? Or do you think it's kind of counterintuitive and it might be best to still focus on that one person, even if you don't know if they're doing the same? You know, I've heard both sides of this issue so many times and I've flip flopped myself. So I don't know. The truth is, I don't know. Everyone is unique. If you feel like you need to date a few guys and see who you get along with the best, then do it. As long as you're not exclusive with one, then there's no harm to do that. Or if you feel like you can only focus on one person at a time, then do that instead. It's really individual and I don't have a preference of what's better or worse. It really depends. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult balance to strike. And I think some of it probably is just determined based on, am I even dating someone who I like enough to dissuade me from going on dates with other guys? Cause a lot of times you're going on a lot of mediocre dates. So you're not going to stop dating other people for someone who you just kind of feel met about. Yeah. Once I feel like I am exclusive, even if we, I haven't had the talk with the guy, I usually will stop dating other people just mm-hmm. because 
I'll feel like I'm betraying him, even if he's dating other women. Yeah. <laughs> so like, usually if, if a guy has my heart, he has my whole heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also like, how do you get excited for other dates when you like this one person so much? Yeah. I mean, some people do it. Some people have no problem <laughs> with it, but that's usually not me. Yeah. Yeah. So I really wanted to talk about trusting your intuition because you have a chapter of the book where you talk about how important it is to listen to your gut and use that to determine if it's worthwhile to move forward with somebody. And that is something that I can say I have struggled with at some points. And so you had this quote where you said, I wasn't impressed with his looks or personality. I still decided to give him a fair chance. And at this point in the book, I feel like it's clear that you're a very accommodating and agreeable person and you really like to see the best in people. So I think that's huge of you to be like, yeah, I'm not interested off the bat, but like maybe he can win me over. And I will say that there have been times where I've not been super into something, but then I wonder to myself, okay, am I listening to my gut here or am I just being overly picky? So how do you kind of distinguish between those two things, between like an intuition that's leading you in the right direction versus maybe tendencies to rule people out too soon, I guess? Well, there's a very fine line between what makes you feel sick and what makes you feel like you have butterflies in your stomach. So it's really difficult to know. There have been a lot of dates I went on where I felt nothing. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, maybe I'll develop feelings later. And usually I don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I feel nothing, that's better than feeling sick. True. (laughs) Because then it could turn into butterflies. Mm -hmm. So you just have to really know and trust your body. And if it's telling you that something's off, something's not right, you have to trust that. Yeah, you're so right. And I feel like I've definitely had a few dates that stand out where on paper, I should be really into this person. And I found them really attractive the first time we met up. But then, you know, maybe it would be like our third date and he's dropping me off and like we're making out. And I'm just like, it's really not hitting for me. Like I'm not into it. And so then it's like, okay, that's a pretty clear sign that if you're not into the first makeout or the second makeout, it's really probably not going to get any better from that. It's like, that's the time when it's the most exciting. Yeah. Just like the song it's in his kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So definitely an interesting thing to think about. And I think especially it just comes up because a lot of times when you're describing your dates to your friends, for example, it's like, they're not on the date with you. They don't know how you feel. And there are times when you might be like, yeah, I'm not into it. And they ask why, and you can't explain why it's just this feeling. And I think that's when you can start to really doubt whether you are being too selective, but just have to learn to trust that instinct. It's a hard thing to do, I think, at times. Yeah, it really is. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. That's why some people don't know if they're settling or if they found their soulmate. Mm -hmm. It's, It's really difficult to know who is right for you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just like stressful even just like hearing that. Like, are you settling or is this your soulmate? It's like, what a vast array of options there. (laughs) Yeah. 
So kind of diving into like the more serious discussions as you're determining compatibility and longevity, you know, once someone has made it past those initial few dates, you know, they're not crazy. So you bring up four types of compatibility. And I thought that was so interesting. And so I know you said they were physical, the emotional, the mental and spiritual. I know we've talked about the physical recently, just in terms of, okay, are you even interested in being physical with this person? Is the chemistry there? But wanted to dive into the remainder of them. If you have differences in your emotional states, like your emotional needs, if you require a lot of really deep discussions about your past and the other person doesn't want to delve into any emotions, they seem really cut off from anything that has to do with feeling things, (laughs) and you might want to rethink the relationship because you want to be comfortable and be able to share your emotions with each other. That's how love begins and ends. Like you you need that emotional deep connection that could be true love. Mm -hmm. And then with mental compatibility, if you have different levels of intelligence, like different IQs, then it could work, but you might not be on the same page for a lot of things. If one of you is a lot smarter than the other, or you like to talk about a lot of intellectual stuff and the other person doesn't, you could clash. That's IQ, and then EQ is your emotional quotient. That's also important too. You both need a similar level of EQ and IQ in order Mm -hmm. for it to work out. Yeah. And that's so hard because I think, like you mentioned, the physical chemistry is something that is apparent up front. And so I think a lot of times you might overlook those things until the physical chemistry has started to fizzle a little bit and you get out of that honeymoon phase. So definitely something to be cognizant of as you're determining if there is staying power once you get past that honeymoon period. Yeah, you need to pay attention to that right away which is why a lot of couples jump into a relationship because the physical compatibility is so great. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of other aspects to a relationship than just sex. Yeah, yeah. And even beyond the EQ and IQ. So two examples come to mind, maybe because these are inspired by my own past experiences. And so like thinking about like someone who drinks versus someone who doesn't drink or someone who's like passionate about fitness versus someone who doesn't work out. It's like there's so many elements where you have to figure out, is this something that I can look past or do I really need someone who like mirrors these things in me? I mean, a lot of those are helpful to build a connection, but mm-hmm. a lot of the lifestyle things are not necessary. You don't have to be the same. In fact, mm-hmm. not to say like opposites, maybe opposites attract, but they should not be together long-term, but different interests and hobbies and lifestyle choices. If you have a lot of differences in those aspects, you can work that out. And if you have a lot of different hobbies and interests, that's actually better because then you're both bringing a variety of experiences and skills to the table so you can teach each other. And you can also have your own time to do what you love because that's important too, to be by yourself. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, now, of course, it's more difficult to foster this, but I think it's so important to foster those separate passions and separate interests, because I just can't imagine being in a relationship where you're like, we do everything together. Like, at what point 
do you run out of things to talk about? It has to happen eventually. So I do think it is nice to have those things that are truly your own. And then you can kind of come together and share those experiences and tell your partner about that rather than just living through the same experience 100% of the time. Yeah, it's important to have your own life and be an independent individual. Yes, yes, 100%. So another element of long-term dating that I wanted to discuss. So you mentioned in the book that you had a few different experiences with living with guys that didn't necessarily work out, sometimes because it wasn't a good match, sometimes because you moved in prematurely. So I'd love to hear about what those experiences taught you about successful cohabitation, about the optimal time to move in, just all of that. Well, a lot of people have differing opinions about this and Mm -hmm. people will probably be angry at me for saying this, (laughs) but I really believe that you should only live together if you're engaged or married or you know you're going to end up together. I don't know what the statistics are exactly, but I know they say that couples who live together before they get married or get engaged are a lot more likely to break up than Mm -hmm. if they move in together after they're married. I think there are multiple reasons for that, mainly because it's an easier out. If you live together and you're not married, even if you're really happy together, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems whether you're married or not. Mm -hmm. But if you're married, you're more likely to work out the problems and the differences because you made that vow to each other to be with each other forever. But if you're together and you're not married, it's really easy to just say, you know what? I don't like how she takes up all the space in bed. I'm just going to break up. So you can just break up and move out. It's still traumatic and it still could feel like a divorce in a way, but yeah. but it's an easier out because you don't have that lifelong commitment to be with that person. Yeah. So I have said this on the podcast before. There was a period where I was very, very adamant about saying I'm not going to live with someone until I get engaged. And I still have not lived with a boyfriend. And I think part of that is I've just never reached that level where I'm like, oh, 100%, this is the person who I want to marry. So it just hasn't really even come up as an option. And I also talked about how on the podcast, I had an experience where for the first time it made me reconsider. So I haven't had to reevaluate that just yet. But I guess I'm wondering, like, Do you think that there are any risks to waiting until you're actually married? Because for me, I was always thinking I would wait until I'm engaged and it sucks to break off an engagement, of course, but at least you're not married. And I'm just wondering, like, what if you get married to this person and then you realize like these things actually are deal breakers and how we live together. But now we have this literal contract that's binding us together. Well, one thing is that it's dangerous to move into someone else's space because let's say you get engaged and then he has like a bigger apartment. So you move into his place. He's going to feel like it's his space that you're moving in on and Mm -hmm. taking over everything. And it's not going to be a healthy relationship. So of course there are exceptions and reasons you have to do it that way, but ideally you would, both move out of your current places and move in together into a new place that you can call yours as a couple. So that's one thing to to help. So then you can 
divide the space evenly and you don't feel like you're messing up his furniture or his stuff. You want to both feel like it's home. And then another thing is that you can spend nights together. You could even spend like weeks at each other's places to see what your routines are or what kind of things you do before bed and if he keeps the toilet seat up and Mm -hmm. that bothers you like you'll notice all those things if you sleep over at each other's places i think that's Mm -hmm. a really great test to Mm -hmm. see if you guys are compatible but it's just moving all your space into his space that's when things start to get complicated so i definitely recommend spending as many nights as possible at each other's places but it would be a good start to your marriage or engagement if you wait until then to move in together. Yeah, I 100% agree with moving into a new space versus a shared space. And I even think about my own space now. First of all, no one else could live here. It's so small. Like we would just get on each other's nerves no matter how solid the relationship was. But even thinking about like, oh, well, my clothes take up the full closet space. Where do I put my clothes to like make room versus like, okay, we're starting fresh. Like nobody feels like they have ownership over this one space. I don't know. Also, you don't want someone coming in and being like, yeah, I never liked that painting painting that you had and I want to get rid of it and put up this new painting that I have. It's kind of like you get to start over and decide together what's coming into this shared space and what is not. Yeah. 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 So I'm glad you agree. A lot of people don't agree, mainly because they have already lived with a partner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I will say, I think that all of my close friends, they have like exemplary relationships because most of them live with their partners. And I can't think of any off the top of my head who've moved in with someone and then like broken up. So I'm just thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have any examples of it not working out like aside from you know, what you hear about from other people. But I'm just like, wow, this is a great testament to my friends of like, they've all made it work and like chosen their partners well, so that it hasn't become an issue, even though they're not married to them yet, in some cases. So as we close out, I wanted to talk about some of your more notable dates. And like I mentioned at the top, there were some that I was just like, oh my God, this is so crazy. And so there are two in particular that I wanted to talk about and then any others that maybe stood out to you that you wanted to retell. I literally stopped reading and I typed this quote down. He warned me that a squirrel had made a home for itself in his car. And so I'm sure you remember exactly who that is. And I was just like, what kind of person is okay with this. I would just love to hear more about that date and how unhinged this person was. Yeah. So that was my date of red flags (laughs) (laughs) where everything he said and did was a clear red flag. It was awful, even from the very beginning. So he started off getting there an hour late and when he got there, he obviously had a runny nose and he was coughing. (laughs) So I said, like, you're sick? And he was like, (laughs) it's not so bad anymore. Like, I don't know. I know. And I'm a germaphobe. So I should have just been like, okay, forget it. The date is canceled. But (laughs) yeah, he had driven so far and I was waiting for an hour. So I figured, you know what? I'm just going to deal with it. Hopefully I won't get sick. Mm -hmm. I did. I didn't. Okay, good. Good. (laughs) This is pre coronavirus, also, we have to say. Oh, yes, yes. If it were a pandemic. Oh, um, my God. I imagine that would be the guy who's like, what's the big deal? <laughs> like, no, I have the mean? antibodies. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he had also, even though we were planning on driving somewhere, he told me that he was like circling for a half an hour looking for parking. <laughs> so we parked a mile away and I had to walk in the summer heat in Los oh Angeles a mile to his car, which was totally pointless in my mind. Yeah. Like literally just, he could pick you up, double park, and then you could go from there. Yeah. I was standing outside for an hour, like an idiot waiting for him. Oh my God. Oh, that's so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So then when we got to his car, I'm not like a high maintenance person. I don't really care much about what cars look like or what type, but his car was such a piece of junk. Mm. It was totally falling apart. The windows were like, were broken. They wouldn't even close. Oh oh my God. Um, It looked like a homeless person lived there. It was disgusting. And that's where the quote comes. (laughs) That a squirrel had made a home for himself (laughs) in the car. So he was like, well, it might kind of smell like an animal. And I was like, what? Things you should never say on a first date. Yeah, and I actually have a really strong sense of smell. So as soon as I opened the car door, I got a whiff of so many nasty things. I definitely smelled squirrel, plus I smelled urine, vomit, like so many things. I did not want to sit in his car, but he insisted on driving. And we had already walked a mile. So I figured, all right, I'll just get in and hold my breath. Oh. And then he said that his air conditioner wasn't working and it was 100 Of course degrees. it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So I had to like breathe in all those nasty smells uh. for the whole drive. And then he had no plans for our date. Oh he had God. been asking me out for weeks. And you think <laughs> you would have figured it out where to go. In that period of time. Yes. But I had to suggest a place. So if you're familiar with Los Angeles, I suggested the Grove, which is an area. It's a great date where... spot. Oh, yeah. I've had lots of first dates there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because there's everything. There's shops, restaurants, movie theater, mm-hmm. places to walk around. So, yeah, I've had lots of dates there. So I suggested that, and there were some other red flags on the way there <laughs> that I won't mention. <laughs> but then we we finally picked a restaurant, and he did everything you're not supposed to do. <laughs> he was rude to the waiter. Oh, no. He ordered for me without asking what I wanted. He got totally wasted. What? I yeah. didn't realize he got wasted. Oh, actually, no, I do remember because you had to, like, walk it off, right? Yeah. He got totally wasted. He ordered for me. He <sighs> was staring at his phone, like, hunched over. He was a total dick, even though he was so eager to go out with me. He was just yeah. really rude. Maybe because he was sick. I don't know. But- <laughs> It was not a good experience. And since he was so drunk by the end of the meal, I also knew I didn't want him to like, drive me home immediately. Uber didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and then of course, when the check came, he realized that he forgot his wallet. So oh, my God. I had to pay just because I like I was needed to get out of there. Yeah. And then we had to like walk it off because he was so drunk. So we ended up going to a movie and at least I enjoyed the movie. It was a mm-hmm. romantic comedy that I wanted to okay. see. Okay. Yeah. 
And then we went back to his car and it was dark by then. And he didn't care that there were some like sketchy guys following us. So oh, wow. he had no concern for my safety. But luckily we got to the car. Nothing <laughs> happened. And then he drove me home and he actually tried to kiss me, even though... The audacity. And he's sick. Like, even aside from him being a horrible date, it's like, you're sick. Yeah. So I just, like, jumped out of the car and pretended not to notice. (laughs) (laughs) And I just ran to my door and we never spoke again. (laughs) Like, what a whirlwind. And from what I remember, you said that, like, he was put together in the other times that you had encountered him. Like, he seemed like he would be, like, at least a semblance of being like kind of together and not like such a shit show. Yeah. He looked really like handsome actually in his suits mm-hmm. when I saw him in other occasions, but then he looked so unkempt in person. His hair was like all like sticking up in different places. He was wearing pants with like holes in them. They looked really old and gross. <sighs> And it was almost like he was trying to turn me off from the first second he got there. And it's like, what is the point? You were pursuing this girl for weeks. So you would really think that at least in a scenario like this, where he's actively coming after you, that he would put his best foot forward, but he literally did the opposite. I know. I don't know. Maybe he competed with himself to see if he could do the worst (laughs) date possible. Well, he won. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Or he's like, maybe she'll still go out with me because I'm such a catch and like seeing how much he can like put forward. I don't know. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of another guy that pursued me for months, if not years. He kept asking me out and I was just really not interested. And then finally... I agreed. Seriously, must have been like three years later. I finally (laughs) agreed to go out with him. And then he flaked. He was supposed to pick me up, but he never showed up. And and I didn't hear from him for three weeks. And then he finally said, like, sorry, I, I had something to do. And then we never spoke again. I had something to do. The vaguest excuse you could possibly give. Yeah, but this is a guy that was practically stalking me for three years. That's wild. And the only thing I can think is like he had built it up so much in his head that he like chickened out. But still, if you've known somebody, then that's literally no way to treat them. You know, like you don't come back three weeks later with a shell of an excuse. That's so crazy. So the other story, and I will... You know, I'll take your lead on how much of this you want to disclose versus how much you want to keep for the book, because this is one of the crazier ones, was your date with Pete, where he convinced you to go back to his place to, like, pick something up. Yes, it's, it was my <laughs> one of my first dates ever from online, actually. And this is when I lived in Chicago. I think we just chatted briefly, and then we met at a coffee shop. And we talked for a little while. He seemed pretty nerdy, but mm-hmm. that was fine. I didn't really think I wanted to see him again, but like I was enjoying talking to him. So mm-hmm. we met at a coffee shop and then we went for a walk. But since it was Chicago, it was starting to get cold. Mm-hmm. And I had a jacket, but he did not. So mm-hmm. he asked if it would be okay if we went back to his place so he could get a jacket. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And mm-hmm. I texted friend just to tell her his address 
So smart. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty sure that nothing was going to happen, but I just wanted to be safe. Mm -hmm. So we got up to his apartment and he showed me his room and it was full of Star Wars figurines. So I went to look at those figurines and he said he had to use the bathroom. So I said, all right, no problem. Mm -hmm. So he was gone for a few minutes and I was just looking, like staring at his wall of nerdy stuff. And then all of a sudden I got a strange feeling like someone was watching me. So I turned around and he was standing by the door, staring at me and masturbating. So I I like still can't even believe it. I didn't know what to do. I was new to dating and really innocent. So I just stood there and watched him. So then he got a tissue and ejaculated. No, <laughs> and then oh I ran out of there and we never spoke again <laughs> like that is horrifying honestly that's the kind of thing that could like rightly traumatize someone from like going on an online date again like thank god he didn't like do anything else like that's so inappropriate and absolutely not okay but like thank goodness for your safety that's like where it ended yes yes luckily I was completely safe and mm-hmm. I didn't like insecure or like anything was going to happen to me. So it was all okay. And now it's just something I can laugh about with my friends. Yeah. There's this joke about how men's worst fear on a date is that they'll show up and it's like, they're not attracted to her. She doesn't look like her photos. And it's like, women's biggest fear is that something like this happens, you know, like you really just never know. Like Aziz Ansari jokes about how like in New York, especially you'll see like these men who are just like, they get off on like touching themselves in public and like people seeing them. And it's like, that is just not something that women really do. You know, like it's just such a stark difference in what women have to put up with versus what men have to put up with and what they're like nervous about before they go on these dates. Yeah. Yeah. There's such a difference. I sympathize and empathize with all women out there. Mm-hmm. Yes, a hundred percent, because it is wild. And that translates into the game that I wanted to play with you. And it's Red Flag Deal Breaker and kind of inspired by all of the dating stories that you have. And I just have to emphasize, like the dating stories that we talked about during this, it literally is just scratching the surface of what Rachel talks about in her book. So if you want more dirt and inspiring stories and all of that, like definitely check it out. But I wanted to go through some of these bad dates and to get you your opinion as someone who's been through a lot of bad dates themselves, would you look over this and continue to date this person or would you move on? And so these are all allegedly true. And I got them from this Instagram account. It's called to the guys I've dated and it's short letters that women will write to former dates or boyfriends or hookups. Okay. So the first one, the first time that you ever exchange gifts for a big holiday, he gets you a bar of soap that he has wrapped in baking paper. It depends on what the holiday was. If you said the first time you exchanged gifts, if it's like my birthday or like around Christmas She said it was Christmas. So it was their first Christmas and that's what he got her. I think I wouldn't right off the bat say like, we're done, we're over. But I would ask him, I would like hold up the soap and be like, do you really (laughs) think this is acceptable? (laughs) Yeah. Like it couldn't even be like a bath bomb set or anything like that. Like literally a bar of soap. Yeah. So I would have a a serious discussion with him about what he thinks is a good gift. 
Yeah, definitely. I can only imagine because my face is very expressive. So if I were to open that, they would immediately know I was displeased and a discussion would be inevitable. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so the next one, you go over to his house for the first time and you notice that he still has photos of him and his ex throughout his apartment. Oh, that has happened to me. And I mean, of course, it's a red flag, but it's Mm -hmm. not a reason to break up with him. I would just point it out and say, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) That's not me that here. (laughs) What's, What's up with that? And... I would just urge him to throw out those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I have to get to the bottom of that. It's like, oh, are you just lazy or are you just still in love with your ex? Because two key different motivations there. Yeah. It's similar to current times where people have pictures of their ex on Facebook. And I've pointed it out to guys and I've said, like, there are a hundred pictures still of your girlfriend (laughs) from six months ago. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) It is interesting. And I have never been one to post a lot of photos of an ex. But when I first started online dating shortly after I'd like gotten out of this relationship, I had one picture on my Instagram and someone did call it out. And I was just like, I guess I have to take this down. Like I just hadn't really thought about it. But yeah, when it's to the point where it's like, oh, I have a whole album or it's like every other photo, like those have got to go. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So a more egregious ex one, you catch him scrolling through his ex's Instagram in bed the first time you hook up. Another red flag. (laughs) (laughs) No, really? It has. And I wouldn't break up with him, but I would just be like, what the hell, man? Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Like creep on your own time. Yeah. I was actually mid-sex. And a guy answered the phone and it was, it was his ex calling him. So, no. so I like pushed him off me and I was like, all right, I'm not in the mood anymore today. <laughs> that, like, what excuse did he have? He said that she was like in town and she wanted to like, meet both of us. What? <laughs> so he's and like, I, yeah, come on over now. Like we're, we're together. <laughs> Well, she knew that he had a girlfriend. So uh, oh. we did meet her. We had dinner with her. And it was, oh, okay. Okay. And it was, I didn't realize that it was like she knew that you two were together. I was just thinking she was like a crazy ex who was super possessive or something. No, but I mean, it's not appropriate for him to answer the phone oh, while he's no. with a girlfriend. Absolutely not. I feel like there's no reason for you to answer the phone while you're having sex yeah. with someone. Like, no. Yes. Oh, Wow. All right, so he live streams his date on social media so that his mom and sister can watch and say hi. Okay, I need some more clarification. Am I aware that it's being recorded? Okay, yes. This one was very strange. So fair that you need more clarification. So apparently she's on a first date with this guy and he's talking about how he talks to his mom on the phone every day. And he's like, oh yeah, see? And he like FaceTimes her and then she's like, oh yeah, well, like why don't you live stream it so your sister can join? And then, like, he just puts it up. So it's only them two that have joined, but it's still, like, your first date, and he's invited his mom and his sibling. Since it's a first date, I would probably never go out with him again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love people who are close to their family, but that's an unhealthy level of attachment, I would say. Yes. I actually went out with a guy, well, when I was in college, this guy in college asked me out. 
So since we didn't have any money, we decided to meet in mm-hmm. the, the dorm lunchroom to have mm-hmm. lunch together. And his dad joined. <laughs> his dad was the dean. And oh, wow. He was my dean, too. Like, it was the department that I was in. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. So he, like, he sat down with his dad, and they basically interviewed me. And it was so wow. awkward. And I couldn't be rude because... no. Ian could kick me out of school. Literally, so, what a power move. <laughs> I know. So I was polite as could be, but then I never went out with that guy again. I wonder if he did that with like all of the girls that he dated throughout college to like just flex and really put himself in the position of having the upper hand. Because that is so scary. Or possibly mm. it was the dad's doing. Maybe the yeah. dad said, I forbid you to go out with a woman unless... I go out with her too. (laughs) That's so true. It probably was like trickling down from the dad. That is wild. Yeah. My gosh. Okay. So the last one I have. So he offers to puppy sit for you one day and you come home and you find him passed out drunk and your dog is covered in his vomit. Oh. (laughs) So sad. No matter how long we've been dating, I would break up with him because Mm -hmm. he doesn't care about me or my property like my if it's my dog like I want him to care about it yeah and also it's like that's a huge red flag you're just like getting drunk in the middle of the day like while your dog's sitting like the dog isn't enough entertainment like you probably have an issue that you need to address yes that is not someone I would date yeah no I just feel especially because she said puppy sitting I'm like that poor puppy is like that's so sad so sad Oh my gosh. Well, this was so amazing. Thank you so much for opening up about all your experiences and for all your advice. And so I would love to have you drop where listeners can find your book when it comes out on the second. Yeah. So date to find your soulmates. That's the title. It will be on Amazon on February 2nd. And the first week of the launch, you can actually get the ebook for 99 cents. Wow. So don't miss out. And there's 20 chapters, lots of great lessons and funny personal stories that I share. So it would be great if you wanted to read it or if you have more questions for me, you can go to my website, lovelaughleisure.com and you can send me a direct email, rachel at lovelaughleisure.com. And I would love to talk to you about your relationship issues. Yes. Highly encourage anyone to reach out. There's literally no excuse to not get the book. It's 99 cents. I also read it in two nights. And so I think that's just a testament to what a page turner it is and how compelling it is and how valuable all the lessons are. So definitely check that out. And of course, you can find the podcast at Interstates and Heartbreak on Instagram. You can find my personal account at Leslie Nope. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.